Amen. Amen. Well, um, we have been in the midst of a series as we're kind of talking through, and I love just as the illustration that the kids, um, Jody will say this over and over, that our kids uh, don't, they're not a part of the church, they're not the future of the church, they're part of the church here and now today as um, as uh, you know, a part of our congregation. And so it's just cool to see them um, as they're participating in the things and we get to participate uh, with them in all that they're doing um, and let them know that they belong here as well. So um, as, as we've been looking through this series, uh, Belong, we've been trying to kind of chop it up into different ways that help us understand kind of like from a psychological way and from a sociological way what it means to be somebody who belongs to anything and then to ask ourselves how do people feel or participate in the belonging of being a part of Common Ground Northeast? What does it mean to belong as a church? And one of the things we decided is that there is a set of disciplines that we can cultivate for one another that allows us um, to feel a sense of belonging, but also to belong to one another inside of the midst of uh, this group. And so we, we decided that um, we kind of use four disciplines. One is the gathering of people together, that we need to gather together on a regular basis. Um, and uh, then there is growing together that we need to grow on a regular basis together. And there's a way in which we learn and know each other differently when we are growing together and challenging one another and um, encouraging one another, edifying each other. And we also uh, give together. And we talked about what it means to be a person who gives of our time, our talent, and our treasure. In uh, you know, even in the midst of of cultural movements where maybe that's not as popular. And then going together that we are people who are sent. And if you remember a couple weeks. I had the whiteboard out and I drew that castle kind of thing. Um, if you're into illustrations, we got a little round of applause just for turning over the, the picture for you and, um, and, and how God sends us like one who represents the kingship of Jesus. But that kingship, that kingdom is not necessarily one that we would think of as a normal one, but the kingdom of, of heaven. And so we want to go together. Um, and, and what we want to do here in these next couple of weeks is actually we're going to, we introduce those concepts. We want to shape those a little bit more and give you more uh, perspectives than just mine on those. And so you'll have Ken jumping in. We're actually going to have the ops team come in and talk as well. You'll have a few more voices coming in to participate in what it means to gather, to grow, to give, and to go. And so our help, or our hope, obviously, uh, to some extent, is that we learn to increase the amount of gathering, growing, giving and going that we have with one another. And that by doing that, that increases our level of sense uh, uh, in which we belong to this church, in which we belong, because again, we start off by saying, hey, we don't have membership, so how do you belong here? Well, that's part of it. And the level to which you feel like you belong is the level to which you will participate. And the idea is to grow in that uh, capability and in that sense of belonging together. And so today, um, we're going to actually do it in Quentin Tarantino style, just reverse this thing. And so gather, grow, give, go. We're going to go get, go. Uh, I can't even remember them all. Give, grow, gather in reverse order, all right? And so today is part two of that going idea, which is rooted in the kingdom ambassadorship that we talked about. Um, and just as a reminder, the idea is that we are sent on behalf of Common Ground Northeast, but that's just rooted in our sentness of Jesus who came to this earth. He was sent by the Father and then sends us out into the world. If you remember too, um, I, I want to remind us, we don't belong to political parties. We don't, can I, can, can we, can I reiterate that? Is that good? We're like, we're good with that. Cause usually people amen that, but I'm telling you like this country will come and go, 
right? And so um, as much as you might have faith in any political party or a presidential candidate or any capability of this country, the kingdom of heaven is alive right now in house church networks in China. The kingdom of heaven is alive right now, probably more alive than ours is in the American church in India, in South America, in places that maybe we would say doesn't seem to be functioning the same way that we would prefer. And I'm telling you, and as much as I can and as much as I could possibly do, this weird mixture of American patriotism and Christianity is not an okay thing to buy into, all right? And so what I want us to see in this world here is that as we are being sent, we are ambassadors, people who are kingdom of heaven people, citizens, literally, Do you catch the language? You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and nothing else. You don't have allegiances to anything else. Affections and allegiances anywhere else are diversions from the kingdom of heaven. All right? I'm going to step off of that for a little bit. Uh, But I wanted to make sure that we're stepping back into where we left off in our last um, situation. Because now I want to get very practical with you today. I told you all... um, uh, well, so, okay, so today, like, this, this is it. We're talking about evangelism, just straight-up evangelism. And there's a part of me that wants to be like, dun-dun-dun, right? Like, everyone's afraid to be an evangelist. We've got um, caricatures of what an evangelist is and isn't in our minds. We have caricatures of what it means to be maybe a missionary out on the field. We were talking about this in the discipleship group, right? Once you start talking about God, it's like, this is awkward, we, we, we don't want to hear, people don't want to hear about that kind of thing. Um, and, and if I could say this with as much um, uh, sympathy as possible, yeah, I know. Because anytime anyone ever asks me what I do for a living, I have to tell them. So, so, so you see pastors who are like, well, I'm a, I'm a public speaker. Oh, yeah, where? Uh, at a place that does community development. Okay, what's it called? Well, I can say common ground, I guess. And they'd be like, oh, cool, that sounds really cool. I'm a pastor. And, and I even heard from friends last night that when they started becoming friends with us and realized I was a pastor, they had to actually have a conversation as to whether or not they would move forward in the friendship. Like, I don't know, man, can we, can we be friends with the pastor? And so um, a, few, a few months ago, we did this series called Wildfire all about evangelism. And so some of this will be a little bit of a recap for you if you were um, really dialed in during that. But this is what I wanted to remind you of. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I say that pretty frequently because I want you to remember it. And I remember what it was like to be a not Christian. All right? I remember what it was like to come in and scrutinize everything that was happening. And to be very, like, I I wasn't trying to be. I was, like, kind of secretly, like, I'll give this thing a fair shake. So I agreed for a year that I was going to go consistently. But in my head, I was just like, I don't like that. I don't like this. This seems hypocritical. How do you know that you know that? How, you know, all of these, I remember coming at this question, like, can God build a, a, a boulder so big that even Jesus can't lift it, right? Those are ridiculous ideas, but I'm like, I got you to this pastor, this, this youth pastor. And she was very gracious to my questions. She was very nice about those things. Um, but I also revealed to you that there was not one inkling of my coming to know Jesus that had anything to do with a fear of hell. Now, I say that because many of you, especially if you grew up in the church, you came maybe to know Jesus because someone at some point only gave you the, the aspects about, you know, the lake of fire and, um, you know, anyone with a six-year-old ability to reason is like, I don't want to go there. 
that sounds like a pretty not fun place to be to anyone. And so there's this, um, there's this uh, motivation behind it that for me was never even on. I remember later on, they're like, oh, and your sins are forgiven. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's good. Like I, I, like, I did need sins forgiven. I knew that. It wasn't like I didn't know, but it had nothing to do with my motivation. And so the question is, so what was my motivation? Well, well this, is, this is it. Um, I felt very strongly, and I told you all the story. I won't go into all the details. I was sitting in a math class, and all of a sudden was like, am I really set up for this for the rest of my life? I'm going to take classes, try to get good grades, to get into a good college so I can get good grades and get into a job that I don't want to do for the rest of my life. I'm literally just like keeping up with things. And I remember just sitting there in all of my uh, 12th grade wisdom thinking, life is meaningless. Why am I doing it? And I was like, I'm just going to get up and walk out of this room right now. And then I thought, that's too much trouble. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with telling this person why. And I, so I waited till the class ended and then I walked off campus. And, I, and I'm like in this weird, as a 12th grader, existential moment of realizing all of what Ecclesiastes has to say to me. This life is a mist. It's but a vapor. And so in the midst of that, I'm going to church. There's some spiritual warfare mixed into it that's also part of this. And I realized that my motivation, as I had to recount it later, I didn't know what to call it until I came across this book by a guy named Tim Keller um, called Center Church. And he, narr- he, he names about six motivations that people come into. And so all the pastors were going through this book. And they're like, hey, why did you come? And like, I was afraid of hell. I, I didn't want to go there. Well, what about you? Uh, same thing, same thing. All seven pastors but me. I'm like, I just wasn't, I don't know. I don't even know what to call it. That just wasn't it. That was not my motivation to come into this. All I could think of is I got to come into a kingdom. This was something that I was excited to say. Like, I, I, wasn't, it wasn't a, I wasn't running from that. I was like drawn into the possibilities of a life that had purpose because I realized that everything around me did not have that. And so here, here's what I want, I want to read to you, just this mini quote. I want to throw these six things that Keller um, comes up with. He says, people of different temperaments and from different cultures reason differently. Some people are highly logical, others more intuitive, and others simply practical. Here are the six things. Some are push, some are pull. But this is, here's, here's what I want you to do. Listen, identify yourself in one of these six, please. Try to find out what was your motivation. I really want you to think through this. Was it simply this first one, fear of judgment and death, right? Running from hell. Maybe you did it because you had a desire for release from the burdens of guilt and shame. That you carry guilt with yourself. Maybe it's an appreciation for the attractiveness for truth. Right? The next one that he names is satisfy unfulfilled existential longings. I think I found myself. Help with a problem. And then a desire to be loved. Now I'm going to break each one of these down just a little bit. Again, find yourself in it. What is it that tells your story? What motivated you or compelled you, if you have found Christ, to come into the kingdom of heaven? And if you're still searching, welcome. Good. Find yourself in it. What is it that's causing you to be drawn in or maybe to be resistant to the, the speaking of the Holy Spirit in your life? So, so, so some of us were told that this is a terrible place, right? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not we have, we, we're common ground. There's lots of different views on this here in this room, right? I, I tend to lean towards a more conservative one, so all you conservative people can maybe take a breath, like, okay, okay, cool, right? Because that's the ones that really struggle. But look, we, we're common ground. I don't know what your theology about heaven and hell is necessarily in this place. That's not a reason for us to, to break, um, uh, to break uh, communion together. 
So, so there's this terrible thing that we are running from a judgment from the living God, and the scriptures do tell us we should be afraid of that. There is descriptions of hell and death that you have to wrestle with somehow, some way in your life, right? That is real. The next one, there's this appeal or desire or release to be released from the burdens of guilt and shame. So if we feel like we failed others, if we feel like we're, we're just struggling, that we, we have this general sense of shame and low self-worth, the Bible offers relief from that. Give me your burdens. Maybe it's that third one. There's this appeal to come to God out of appreciation for the attractiveness of truth. So truth can just be beautiful and wonderful. And, and maybe in the midst of a, 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 a world that has all kinds of untruth in it, false identities, false information, God gets to hold up truth. And it's just so attractive and so beautiful. It has drawn you in because you see it and it's a firm foundation in the midst of sand that is just falling between people's fingers. Maybe that fourth one, sometimes it appeals to us because we, it satisfies this existential longing. Um, the woman at the well is such a good example. She's looking for real water, and he's like talking straight past the water into living water. You're thirsty beyond what your physical thirst is really uh, 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 revealing. And so there's this, this idea where God starts to tell us that there's something beyond this. This was my motivation, right? The kingdom of God became this thing to me that gave me a sense that I was living for something bigger than just my life, more than just money and financial gain, more than the things that this world had to offer. And it satisfied that. Maybe the fifth one, sometimes you appeal, the appeal comes to you uh, because you want help with a problem. And so there are times that you just have a, a, a form of despair that needs an answer that you can't do. You're at the end of your own means and the network of friends you have, you don't know what else to do, so you go to God, get me out of this. And so some people come to God because of that, and there's lots of examples in the scripture of people being healed, cured, delivered, practical needs are met, and they come to God through it. Their, their language in that, you know, it's like I'm stuck and I need help getting out of it. The last one here is the desire to be loved, and I think that in some way all of us have this a little bit, right? The person of Christ, as you read about this person, as it is depicted, is compellingly attractive. Not by the, like we have... The prophecy that tells us there is nothing really all that attractive about him, it won't become, become because of that. But the way that the gentleness, the, the personhood of who he, the wisdom, the love that he shared was just a magnet. And people wanted to see that. So stop and look at these six things. I don't have time for it, otherwise I'd stop and say, tell the person next to you. So maybe before the days end, find someone and say, why, why did you come? Why, why were you compelled to follow God, to come into a saving faith? Or if you're still searching, which one of these seems to be the angle, the, the itch that you need to scratch? And I don't know how you came to know Jesus, um, and, and uh, Keller's just giving us some handles to think through, right? Um, but we all don't come the same way, Amen. And so my, my, my thing, like kind of where I wanted to drive us to here is if we are going to be goers, if we are going to be those who are sent on behalf of the uh, kingdom of God as ambassadors, if we are going to be sent out on behalf of common ground northeast, we have to recognize that, that to tell and proclaim truth comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes because one size will not fit all. And the scriptures give us these metaphors that we get to look at. In the first century, there are all these trades. And so we've got different kinds. We're going to land on one that I'm really going to build out but there's a fisher of people, 
right? And, and God says, I want to invite you to become fit. There's builders who decide to build on a firm foundation or on other things. There is a royal priest metaphor that's used over and over, wherein we are the people who impart blessing and proclaim and mediate. There's this ambassadorial one that we built out last time I spoke on the subject, but today I want you to think of this. And we're, I'm in a, maybe a more agrarian area than maybe ever. Well, Phoenix had some, some farms, some big farms on it, but anyone here um, spend some time on a farm? Got a few? Oh, we got like love for it. We got like farm. I love it. The, the hardworking farmer is one of the most important metaphors that we are given, and I love it because it gives us both sides of the coin. It talks about the person who is the goer being sent and the person who is the soil, the receiver of the truth. And so again, I want you to identify yourself in Luke 8. We're going to read verses 4 um, through, I think, 9. Luke 8, 4 through 9. We'll have it up there, but if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there to it. Luke 4, or sorry, 8, 4 through 8 says this. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and it was trampled on. The birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky grounds. This is the second one. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. The third one, other seed fell up among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Eight still, uh, verse eight, sorry, still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let me say that again. <laughs> whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus, he gives this meaning of his words to be, the, the disciples coming. He's like, what, what are you speaking in parables for? And he kind of tells them why. And then he says, well, let me give you the meaning of that. And so I want to just give you the summary that the one who falls along the path are the ones who hear and the devil takes that word away from them. The next one is on the rocky soil. He says, those are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But when they have no root, eventually uh, they believe for a while, but walk away, uh, uh, fall away after testing. The next seed is the one that falls among the, the thorns. It stands um, for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, by riches and pleasures, right? They do not mature. And the last one falls on good soil. It stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by preserving, persevering, sorry, produce a crop. So these um, different heart postures are metaphorically spoken about in this. This is typically where this teaching tends to just land. And I, I do think it's worthwhile, study these scriptures, think about this as you think about your own life, but also as you begin to think about other people to whom you might be proclaiming the, the good news of Christ to. But what I want you to see um, is that it also gives us a little bit of insight as to the work of the farmer the sower, in, in our case, the one who is set to go on behalf of the kingdom of God and to do these things. Because, because in the midst of it, there's this parable, it's kind of like, it's, it's wanting us to understand, if we understand the work of the field, then maybe it's not quite as frustrating, right? Like, like this work is really hard at times, and not people don't always want to hear or receive what it is that you may have for them, but, but for the hardworking farmer, there's still hope in this, because look, we know it's going to be difficult. There are some who, who, who the enemy just takes that seed and takes it away. 
There's rest for the farmer because there is weariness in this work. There's understanding for the farmer because he can read these, uh, these parables and understand that when, when people don't always respond, there are things at work maybe out of that person's control. There is encouragement for the hardworking farmer to not give up sowing out the word of truth. So have you ever considered how hard it is to work on a farm? And so for those of you who raised your hands, you know some insight. For the, the rest of us, we typically go to a grocery store and we pick out the best fruits, the best vegetables. We individually pack them for our families. We pick the most palatable ones. We only get to see the reward and it removes us. It insulates us from the hard work. And so you have to use your imagination to consider everything that might be going on behind the scenes. And a farmer knows that there is so much that the consumer is benefiting from that they have no clue what went on behind the scenes. They have no understanding of the farmer's labor after you go and you you pick these things out and you enjoy the fruit from it, but you're removed from the labor so that you don't know what it took to get that from the farm to your table. There's the science of navigating the seasons and the weather and knowing exactly when it is that you are supposed to plant these things. When you begin the crop season of the crop that you're trying to get to. You have to know the navigation of the soil and the nutrients that are in it. You have to first till the soil. You have to break it apart, and sometimes that is a difficult thing to accomplish. You have to plant those seeds inside of that tilled soil. You have to water crops over and over and over, sometimes creating very complicated irrigation systems to make sure that this particular crop has exactly what it needs. And then at the very end, you have a harvest. You get to benefit from the fruit, from the crop. And so what I want to do is to recognize, as a pastor trying to compel people, we need to evangelize. We need to sow out seed. I know it's not easy. Like, I want want to empathize in that. I know that those conversations can be awkward. I know 100% how weird it can be when you're like, hey, what what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. (laughs) <laughs> and how he, I, I can't opt out and so sometimes that gives me the avenue right into it well let me you know then I'm going to try and give you all the reasons why I'm not the pastor you think I might be or the one that did whatever to you or the one who you saw on TV that um, takes people's money or the one uh, you know who, uh, who, who only um, preached the harshest things about God's word and so now that's all you think of God is is as a harsh person like, like I'm always trying to separate myself out from that But in the midst of your day-to-day, there are opportunities to till. There are opportunities to water. There are opportunities to plant seeds. I did those in reverse order, I'm sorry. And there are opportunities to harvest. And you are not always necessarily responsible for all of them. And so what I want to do is to give you uh, an encouragement. I don't want to throw out stats of how, the ne- how negative, you know, no one's, no one's um, uh, uh, evangelizing these days. No one's going out on the mission field. We can, we can go that route, but I, I just don't feel like that's the best motivation. I want to, like I was, I want to invite you into the work of the kingdom. Because there is purpose here 
that maybe you haven't seen because there is something, there is a, a current, a wave of the Holy Spirit that is taking place, and I'm going to tell you what I mean by that at the very end here, that you get to be invited into. And so as we look at how hard it is to actually tell people about things like this, fear that creeps into us, I want to give you some encouragement from Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4, this is what it says in uh, verses 3. Uh, yeah, sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, that's it. It says this, what after all is Apollos? So we got one character on the field. And what is Paul? This is Paul speaking. So now he's kind of self-deprecating in the midst of it. Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. So he gives two workers on the field. He names them and he's like, who are they? except just participants in this thing. It goes on to say this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been what? Making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And then he goes on to use a building metaphor as well. So listen, there are three things I want you to internalize from what Paul just said to us and how he is encouraging us. First is that there is already something going on, something moving that you are just being invited into. You aren't like the farmer conjuring up something from the very ground, from, the, from, from ground zero trying to make something come alive. There is actually a, a, a God working in every corner of every place on this earth, whether we see it, know it, or not. God is already working, and so you are not alone in this endeavor. Whether any laborer comes alongside you shoulder to shoulder and helps you out, you have to know that God is already working in somebody who you may have been praying for for years to have breakthrough in their life, in somebody who, who you may have lost hope. God has not lost hope. He's working in these things, and you never know where someone else has been in the process, right? So, so listen to this. When I came to know Christ, the, the, the young lady who I was dating who invited me to that youth ministry— she did not know that I was listening to two people on a bus about a year before that who were having a brief conversation about why behind me I was on, on a, like some field trip and these two guys were talking about why one goes to church and why one doesn't and one said, hey, um, I, you know, what do I have to lose honestly? Like I, I, in the end, if it's not even real, at least I lived a better life. Now the logic for me didn't quite hold but I definitely thought, no, that's, maybe I will check out church. A year later, someone invites me. But, but that person sowed a seed that day that the, the lady, the young woman who invited me later had no clue about. And I never told anyone that. N nobody in that conversation knows that my best friend at one point who was a Christian, I was making fun of him. I can't believe you believe this stuff. This is, this is why, I don't, I don't understand. And he steps up, he steps back. We were, we were playing some game and he puts the controller on the ground and he says, look man, if you, are, if you have a problem with me being a Christian and, and, and like this is gonna be an issue, then we can just stop being friends right now. All right, because I am a Christian, I'm not changing that. So, so either you stop doing that stuff because you just don't wanna be my friend or like get over it and just be okay that I'm a Christian. And he never knew what that did to me. 
Because it, it was one more just step towards, wow, man, like he, really, he's, like, he really believes this. He's not backing down from me. He stood strong in this persecution that I was the one persecuting. Nobody knows about the dreams and the things, uh, spiritual warfare, that I was encountering very directly, the evil things that I was dealing with that caused me to say, I need to get help against these things. I cannot handle them alone. And then my girlfriend invites me to church. So somebody planted seeds. So my best friend tilled me real, real well, right? That's the hard part. He's breaking the ground. He brought out the hard tools and told me directly what was going to happen. And someone watered and someone else watered and someone else watered. And some of these I don't even remember as God was watering and planting seeds along the way to bring me to him so that I would say, I'll check it out. The second thing I want you to know is, so if you're not, you're not alone, there's others in the process, there's God, there are other labors around. The second is that God grows the harvest. You are in the end not responsible for that end product. The scripture tells us that we are ultimately not responsible for what happens at harvest time. That's God's job. He bears the burden of the final result. All he is asking us to do is to be obedient to the tilling, the planting, and the watering. And if you get to be lucky enough to be the harvester, then relish in the fruit of that labor because it's more than you who labored for it. God is growing this harvest. Third, and this is the last one, um, and I want to, I want, I'm quoting a friend of mine, you can be 100% successful. I think we got a slide for this. <laughs> Easy to remember. You can be 100% successful 100% of the time. You've heard me say this before uh, because I'm, I'm quoting a friend of mine who teaches on evangelism all the time. He wrote a book on it uh, that, that we used for the format for that, for that series that we did, Wildfire. Uh, and this is what he means. Because How can that be possible? Like, I talk to, if I talk to people, they don't always come to know Jesus. How is that, all, how is that 100% successful 100% of the time? And this is what he says. He really wants you to internalize this idea that you are just responsible for participating in the process. Just own being the waterer. Whether or not you see the harvest or not, own being the seed planter, own being the ground tiller, you are a part of this process. And what he is saying is, if God is responsible for it, and if you own the thing that you're responsible for, you are successful. 100% of the time. You know what he says? The only time you're not successful is when the inkling of the Holy Spirit comes on and says, speak to this person, and you don't do it. When you opt out of the opportunity to plant water or till. So the only way to not be successful at this idea, at this uh, mandate of evangelism is to opt out of it. To say, uh, it's not my, that's, that's the evangelist. They're gifted in that. That's their job. But we've talked about that before. That's not their job. They are not our evangelists on our behalf. They're there to, to teach us how to be better evangelists. They have been given that gift to help us all become better at that. So we watch them and we go out to lunch or coffee with that person. We realize, man, they really just, they can't not do this. They talk to the person who's waiting on us. They talk to the person who's checking them out at the, at the uh, clerk station. They talk to the person who you paid your gas for. Maybe I need to talk a little bit more. Maybe I need to be a little bit more vocal. Maybe I need to love a little bit more. Maybe I need to serve a little bit more. Man, I just watched them with no, uh, with no hindrance at all just triple the tip that they were supposed to get. Maybe I need to do that, be a little bit more generous. That's what evangelists do. That's why they're in our midst. They pepper, they season us 
so that we can learn, see from it, and learn from what they're doing. And so if you see evangelists in our midst, spend some time with them. I want to I encourage you um, here as we close. Um, you were not all the same soil. Each of you was a different kind. And somehow, someway, God met you as you were, as the kind of soil that you were. And in the midst of whatever motivation was behind that, he gave you good news. News that was so compelling you had to become a part of it. And then he changed your life and gave you a story of good news that you get to tell someone else. Likely, you will tell somebody the story in the same way that you received it. And so there is another soil out there who is similar to you that needs the good word, the good news seed that you have been given. Does that make sense? And so you've been given, you've been invited into this story. Uh, uh, and, he, and here's what I mean, this current, uh, this, this last verse, it's not up there, but I wanted you um, to hear this. Uh, this is what the scripture tells us in Luke 10, that the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. So there's more of us opting out than they're opting into this. And I want to ask you, I, I don't know what kind of soil you are. I don't know what compelled you to come to know Jesus, but I do know that God gave you that good news story and the seed to be sown out on your own. And so the question really is, are we going to have the boldness, the audacity to believe that that is still good news today? If it was for you, is it today for someone else? To have the audacity to believe that in the midst of our culture that others need to hear it and others need to proclaim it. And what I want to do today is just end by praying for that boldness over you today. Can I throw this out there too? This is just off the cuff. Um, maybe this week, share, share the good news with one person. This week. And maybe next week I'll ask you, did you do it? And I'm not going to put you on the spot, but you'll know. But, but that's the assignment. Maybe, maybe you have someone this week that God's going to bring into your midst. Be, keep your eyes out. I'm going to pray for it. I believe it'll happen. I believe God will answer that prayer. Keep your eyes up and open, line of sight ready, that you might need to proclaim some good news this week. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much um, for the good news that you uh, brought into our lives. That there's all kinds of motivations, God. And maybe, maybe out of a pendulum swing, we, we, we go one way and we, uh, it was all just the fire and brimstone. And then a new generation comes out and says, well, I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff. I'm going to go in another direction. But Lord, maybe it's seasons that we need to think in. Maybe it's tools in the gardener's tool belt that the farmer has at their disposal. Because all six of those motivations have some legitimacy and are rooted in Scripture. And so, Father, bring to mind, what, help us to own the good news that you've given us, but help us to not just stop there. Let's sharpen all these tools. Let's be ready to give some level of hope to anybody, no matter what kind of soil they might be, so that they would hear it in a way that they need to receive it. Mm. And so, and I'm, I'm gonna, let me keep praying over y'all. <laughs> Um, so, Father, some of us need to chill out and just bring the kingdom and serve. And stop saying, you, you don't have to say Jesus in every single moment. But others of us want to bring the kingdom and are embarrassed of our king. And so, God, where you want us to love without naming ourselves, tell us. And where you want us to come in and just proclaim that you are the king of salvation, Jesus. Let us not be embarrassed of you. 
We need to bring the king and the kingdom, Lord. So let us be both, God. Let's be in a rhythm of both, sharpen both tools, convict us where that needs to happen. And Lord, I pray for boldness. Boldness like we see as Jesus who is so confident in his own uh, incarnation of good news as Paul who just shouts it from the rooftops as Peter who, who uh, in all of these cases, these people have so much to lose. Father, compel us with the urgency motivated by wanting to see people come into a relationship with you no matter what kind of soil they are. And we ask for this right now in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen, amen.